Welcome to the fifth installation of Mad Dogs and Englishmen. This is the last Thursday in February, and uh, we're coming to you as usual from New York with some celebrity news. A bit of a bit of a departure for our usual usual bent. Well, it's not such a departure for us in the sense that uh, any time you get to abuse Alec Baldwin, it's always worth it. I think uh, you know conservatives. Conservatives should always take that opportunity. You know, we're so scarce on celebrities on our side. You know, it's like Pat Sajak and Ted Nugent. <laughs> and I love Pat Sajak, don't get me wrong. But uh, we get more mileage out of banging the other side, I think, than we do out of uh, out of courting them. Although, in a sense, I have to I have to feel a little bit sorry for Alec Baldwin. I'm 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 a little bit more sympathetic than I expected. And before I you know get started on it, I'd, one thing I do have to say about. Uh, demands whatever his stupid politics are whatever his crazy personal life and semi mentally ill affect is as he walks around the streets of New York he is a great actor he's not just a good actor he's a great actor I saw him a few months ago in uh, Orphans which was his most recent uh, stage performance closed early he had some sort of fight with Shia LaBeouf before the uh, play got started uh, he apparently demanded that they fire him, and uh, they did, and replaced him with a different guy. Uh, Foster is his name, I believe. Pretty good actor, uh, but just a terrific performer. It's one of those times, you know, I had the same experience seeing Robin Williams uh, in uh, Bengal Tiger in the Baghdad Zoo. I just don't like the guy, and I don't want to like the guy, but then you sit there in the audience and you go, you know what, he really is good at this. Yeah. Uh, he really is good. That being said, Alec Baldwin is a very fine actor who's a crazy person who recently published a 5,200, and I believe, 86-word essay on why he's just sort of unhappy with his life. Now, you write a lot for, for the magazine, and in the magazine and print, we tend to do longer pieces. I don't remember when the last time I wrote 5,000 words on something was, much less the fact that I'm a movie star and I'm kind of unhappy living in Manhattan. <laughs> no. Well, he, he seems to have something of a breakdown in print. And if I were an editor who wanted to sell magazines... That's precisely the kind of thing. That I, would <laughs> I didn't read that story. That would have been awesome. I mean, you know, you saw as the Harry Potter books developed, for example, they just backed away from J.K. Rowling, and so she starts with a smaller book, and they get bigger and bigger, and eventually, it's the it's the biggest book you've ever seen is the seventh Harry Potter book. And reading it, much as I enjoyed it, I was beginning to think she might need an editor. And reading Alec Baldwin again, you get the impression that the powers that be at New York Magazine just said. You let it all out, Alec. <laughs> you just let it all out and we'll put you on the front cover. But, you know, my, my one experience with Alec Baldwin has actually been uh, defending him. Um, you know, he uh, he went uh, off on one, I think, with his uh, latest insult, which was Toxic no, toxic Little Queen was the first one. He's yeah. very good at them. And then there was there was a second one I can't even remember now. But and you couldn't say it even if you could remember right. it because I remember it. <laughs> but uh, MSNBC fired him. He wasn't even on MSNBC, and I remember saying, "Come on, why are we so prissy that the, you know this one guy comes out and says I know you live by the sword, you die by the sword, but it's hardly at the end of the world." So my, my one experience with Alec Baldwin has actually been defending him, uh, at least in principle. Yeah. Now, according to uh, his most recent diatribe, it was Rachel Maddow personally apparently was the one who insisted that he he be fired and that you know the the backstory is that she is kind of kind of running the show over there because the slurs he was accused of using were anti-gay in nature um 
Well, slurs are always anti-something, or they wouldn't be slurs. Well, I guess that's true. Yeah, although it's... Again, you hate to see something like that happen, both because I feel sorry for people when they have these public breakdowns. I really do. Uh, you know, you see this with celebrities, and it's always funny to kind of laugh at them a little bit. But on a really, on a truly human level, you feel sorry for them because they have the same problems the rest of us have. And if I were famous enough that people were following me around with a camera 24 hours a day and uh, provoking confrontations with my children, which I don't have any, but if I did, you know, on the sidewalk in front of my $20 million uh, Upper West Side apartment, which I also don't have, you know, I probably wouldn't perform any better than uh, he does. You know, and you see these people who they've had too much to drink, they've got drug problems, those are problems that we all have, we're just not famous enough to run in that kind of problem. So I do feel sorry for them to that extent, but it's also kind of delicious and precious to see, uh, see these guys who, uh, you know, live by liberal political pieties right. and this ridiculous sort of political correctness lose their spots on MSNBC because they can't help but use abusive terms about gay people. Well, you know, I agree with everything that you've just said about feeling sorry for celebrities when they lose it and when they fall and them being no different as human beings than everyone else, with one notable exception, and his name is Piers Morgan. <laughs> yes. I was thrilled when Piers Morgan lost his show, as I imagine every British person was. And it's been fascinating, having written a piece about him this week, the number of Americans who've rather sweetly said, well, I didn't like him either, but why are you so mean? He said, well, you ask a single person in England, just pick them at random on the street, tell me about Piers Morgan, and you will get a similar reaction. I think Andrew Sullivan was... Uh, equally vitriolic towards yeah. Piers Morgan. He really is an unpleasant, specious little man. And he got the comeuppance, I'm afraid, that he deserved. He should never have been there in the first place. And he and he blew it. And, you know, the, the idea that Piers Morgan lost his job because he has an English accent is so utterly preposterous. Piers Morgan lost his Hell, job. Hell, it's the only reason you have one. I know. <laughs> um... It would just be Mad Dogs, this podcast, otherwise. Right. But, no, Piers Morgan uh, lost his job because he didn't bother to learn any of the positions that disagreed with his own, and he exhibited open disdain for the country he was performing in front of. Yeah. That'll do it. Have you ever heard of a guy named uh, Professor Elemental? No. Uh, he's a rapper, an English guy, but he does this sort of Victorian thing, you know, where he's... Ah. he's uh, uh, a sort of a Victorian rapper, and his nemesis is another guy named... Uh, Mr. B, who has a record called uh, Straight Out of Surrey. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, his, his ultimate insult to his rival uh, at one point is uh, he says that uh, your rap's Piers Morgan. Really? And, uh, you know, I've never seen the show, and I don't really know much about the guy because I just don't watch that sort of television because, frankly, I would rather run with scissors and impale myself than sit through something like that. But um, Having seen his performance, especially in the gun debates and the sort of intellectual dishonesty he brought to it, it's hard for me to uh, to feel bad for him about losing his outlet. Right, and all joking and teasing aside, if you read John Lott's piece on National Review this week about being interviewed by Piers Morgan, there are some funny moments. There are also some hideous moments. In the New York Daily News picked up how unpleasant Morgan can be in person as well, which shouldn't really be a surprise because he was on air. John Lott says at one point he says to Morgan that he had an interesting interviewing style and that he asked all of the questions and then answered them too. Right. And Lott said that all of the cameramen started to laugh and Morgan shot them a look. Well, that's quite a funny story. What's not a funny story 
is that Morgan, after the interview with Lott, wrote a piece in The Guardian in which he mocked, and uh, I quote, John Lott's you know, weird, pointy, bushy eyebrows. And Lott says, well, I have those because I had a tumour removed from my head. And, you know, you, when you read something like that, it does actually become a little less funny. You can't really imagine a professional broadcaster berating his guests in the newspapers just because he disagrees with them on policy. Yeah. Now, one thing British English has that American English doesn't, I think, is a better selection of insults. So a particularly British description of Piers Morgan for a closing thought would be... Well, are you familiar with Stephen Fry's definition? Uh of countryside no it's to kill Piers Morgan <laughs> I'll let you all think about it <laughs> well that's uh, that's actually right out of Hamlet right where uh, yeah I don't think we can even talk about that we may have to bleep cook here so we're generally fans of Mad Dogs and Englishmen but, but not that particular Englishman who can go back and rot for all we care